This morning we come to a book of the Bible. It's a short one. It's one of only five one-chapter books in the entire Bible. It's the book of Philemon. The others in the New Testament is 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. The only one-chapter Old Testament book is Obadiah. But we come to the last in the sequence of Paul's letters, and the shortest, only 25 verses. Now, if you're like I was in middle school and high school, I wasn't much of a reader. And so one chapter short books were like, oh, good. Oh, good, I can read oh, uh, Philemon. That one's for me. But the message caught me a little off guard. And the only sermon I ever heard on this book was in a black church when I was in college. I grew up loving uh, the, the, the racial diversity of metropolitan New York area where I grew up. And, and yet I, I saw the discrimination. And I heard MLK and it stirred me. And, and so when I went to college, I thought I was raised in a white church. I'm going to black church. So I show up, and they treated me great. They ushered me right down. I was like I was royalty. And the singing was spine-tingling, and the fellowship was warm, and the preaching was hot. And of all things, he preached on Philemon. This is a black man preaching a book written to a slave owner on how to treat his runaway slave that by cultural standards would have been killed, but because Philemon was a Christian slave owner and business person, he ought to do better than kill him. Now, just so that we understand, because even as Americans, um, the word slave is still cruel. The only slavery today is human trafficking. And we all ought to be horrified and appalled and, and activists to stop any form of human trafficking. That is not what this is talking about. Human trafficking is 100% forbidden by the Bible, and there are specific verses in the Bible that totally condemn any shred of human trafficking. For whatever purpose, sexual or labor or whatever purpose, it's all condemned by Scripture. That is not what is going on here that Paul is addressing. There are three levels of slavery. There's our contemporary slavery, which is basically human trafficking. That's not the level we're talking about. The second level is the Roman level. The Roman level, it was part of their economy. It was part of their structure. It was not along racial lines. It was, to a large extent, the workforce were classified there. Some slave owners treated their people really well, and some 
really poorly, but the structure was not inherently evil. But then there was even a better form, and that was the Hebrew, not the Roman, but the Hebrew slavery, which was um, guarded by a lot of parameters. And let me just put it this way. The difference between the Roman and the Hebrew, the Roman form of slavery did see a hierarchy of value and human worth. Now listen, the Hebrew form of slavery did not see a hierarchy of worth and value, but a hierarchy of authority and responsibility. It's entirely different. Now, when Paul writes to Philemon, he wrote to destroy the hierarchy of value, but not to destroy the hierarchy of role and function and responsibility and authority. In a sense, there is no um, uh, injustice in taking Paul's teaching and applying it fully to the workplace today. Because when you play it out, though we would never use, I mean, some of us might say, I feel like a slave at the workplace. (laughs) but it's an employer-employee relationship. This is very close to me. My grandfather co-authored the Taft-Hartley Act, which is all about owners and the labor unions and how the owners needed to care for the workforce and the workforce had to live within certain parameters so that it wouldn't destroy uh, the leadership of the owners. But it was really, my grandfather's bill was very similar to the letter Paul wrote to Philemon. Now, why in the world, if God's only going to author 66 books to put into his Bible, why would he take one and give it to this subject? Why the book of Philemon? It's a fair question. Philemon is one man writing to one man about one man. Now, as I've thought about this, Philemon, about your runaway slave who deserves death when he returns. Now, watch this. When we become Christians, everything in life changes. How many can say they've experienced some of that change? That Jesus makes a difference. Okay, now you still live at the same address. You still live in the same neighborhood. If you're a physician, you still have patience. If you're a plumber, you still have pipes. If you were a golfer, you still enjoy a new course. If you're a biker, you still enjoy the S-curves. You know, it's uh, you're still a lot's the same. You're still going to go to the same job. You're still going to have the same uh, thing. But But what changes is... When you open the door to Jesus to your life and he comes in, he changes the way you see yourself. He changes the way you see others. He changes your attitudes. When you open the door to Jesus in at home, 
He changes the way husbands treat their wives and wives treat their husbands and the way the parents treat the children and the children relate to the parents. All that changes. Now follow this. When you invite Jesus to the workplace and open the door to the workplace, so much changes. You're still going to be sitting at the same desk. You're still going to have the same customers. You're still going to, if you're a business owner, you're still going to be dealing with the same stuff. But the way you do it will change. That's the book of Philemon. Philemon, there are other books that deal with what happens to an individual when Christ comes in or what happens to the family when Christ comes in. This book of Philemon is what happens to the workplace when Jesus Christ comes in. Now, uh, pardon me if your company you work for isn't up here, but we got a bunch at CDC, we got FedEx, we got some business owners, we've got teachers, we've got bankers, we've got investors, we've got computer programmers, we've got administrators, we've got uh, pretty much, in one way or another, you're up here. If you're not, you can see me later, I apologize. But I'll tell you what gets me excited about this message that you're about to hear this morning is what's going to happen in your workplace when increasingly you open the door to Christ in your workplace. To put it simple, I used to see as my job getting you to come here and serve the Lord here. Now I see my job as equipping you so that you can serve the Lord when you go out there. Even though we need workers on Wednesday night, at most you're here an hour and a half, two hours. You're there 40, 50, 60 hours. God doesn't want you just to serve Him well for an hour and a half. He wants you to serve Him well all week long. Let me show you something else, and I think we'll start getting somewhere here. A bronze medal Christian. First of all, he gets born again. Okay. Now, there are those who are born again but don't act like it. Have you ever hired a, 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 a I don't mean to pick on the trade, but, but an electrician? And they come over and they had a Nick Thuce on their card. And on their ad in the yellow pages, and you paid them to fix it and it, you paid them pretty good and it wasn't fixed. And then you call him back and he won't answer your calls. Now that's a, if he died, he may go to heaven. But he's not acting like it in the workplace. You get what I'm saying? Now that guy doesn't even get a bronze medal. But a bronze medal goes to the Christian who is a Christian and who acts like a Christian. Who puts in an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Who, who does diligence, strives for excellence, Wants to be the best they can, but they don't tell anybody why. But praise God for them. Salt of the earth. Then there's the silver medal. The silver medalist is verbal in the workplace. He tell, he not only lives like a Christian and does honestly and does his job diligently, but he's verbal, and he even leads some of his friends to faith in Christ. Praise God for that. And for years I thought that was it. Man, that is like platinum. I'll take a church full of them. And I will. 
Praise God for that. But there is a higher level. You see, Philemon, he was not only saved, he was an ethical man. God had blessed him. He was a partner of Paul. If he wasn't ethical, he wouldn't have qualified to be a partner. And he opened his house to have a house church, verse 2 of Philemon. Basically, for us, we'd call it a life group. He was hosting a life group in his home. So he was successful and prosperous enough monetarily to own a home that was big enough to house a a bunch of people coming over consistently. Most of us have a big enough uh, kitchen uh, with a, a table or a family room. We can seat five or six people in most of our homes. But in that culture, not everybody had that. But Philemon did. He had that. So he was, he was already a silver medal. He was being verbal about his faith. And he was, Paul again wouldn't have called him a partner if he wasn't verbal about his faith. But now Paul is calling forth the best in Philemon. Like I was seeking to do earlier this morning in us as a church. But Paul wanted Philemon to be a gold medal business person. And the gold medal is the one who practices kingdom principles. And that person God will use to not only set an example and lead a couple people to Christ, but influence the industry. So the way it's done is going to have a ripple collateral benefit impact. And many of you are in that category. It is an honor for me to pastor a church where we have gold medal business people in this church. We have people who are in one way or another, changing the industry, one contact at a time, by practicing their the principles of the kingdom. Now, for our friend Philemon, follow along with me, please. Let's begin with verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. Now this is the first time Paul uses this terminology, but he'll use it five or six times. It'll keep popping up. And here's the deal. How could Paul appeal to Philemon to treat his slave as a free man with equal dignity if Paul puts Philemon under bondage and forces him to treat him like a free man. Paul is practicing with Philemon what he wants Philemon to practice with his slave. So do it in love. And he keeps, he's very careful to not force the issue. I then, as Paul, An old man. It's the only place Paul calls himself an old man. And now also a prisoner 
for Christ Jesus. Somehow, this runaway slave ended up in Paul's prison. Probably on a misdemeanor. Because runaway slaves would have been killed. So he must have committed another crime after the first one. So this guy was a little bit of a snake. I mean, he he was not a moral, upright guy. So he says, I'm a prisoner. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. My son, because he has just led Onesimus to Christ and has been discipling him. This might be worth writing down. Onesimus means profitable. My son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now, here again, he's working the play on words of the meaning of his name. Formerly, profitable was useless. He was useless to you. But now he's become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. To you, to you, to you. There's an echo. You see, Paul has enough confidence in the gospel to have changed Onesimus, the slave, and Philemon, the slave owner, enough to now send Onesimus, his son, back under the care of Philemon, trusting that Philemon won't act like the -the run-of-the-mill Roman and kill him. I'm sending him back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent. There it is again. Now remember that this letter written to Philemon would be read aloud in Philemon's house church. So he, he, he isn't writing a personal letter like with confidential personal on the cover of it. This is one that would have been read publicly. So the, the corporate, uh, peer pressure of the church was also holding Philemon accountable. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. For he is very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Hallelujah. That word that begins verse 15, perhaps. I just want to pause there for one second. You can write in the margin there, Romans 8.28. Perhaps. You thought he stole himself. You thought you got ripped off. You thought you lost it. But what I want to point out is perhaps God had a higher purpose in mind. That he's going to now work together for good. Romans 8.28. In everything, God works for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And I want to say, for those of us who have lost some assets, who have been robbed somewhere along the way, 
And we've looked back with regret. We've looked back at bitter, with bitterness. Some of us didn't get the inheritance we thought. Some of us have, have uh, felt like we weren't paid what we should have. Our retirement plan wasn't what we expected. And we can live in regret. What I want to do is to put over that Philemon 15. Perhaps God has a higher purpose. Perhaps he's going to work together for good in what was stolen from you and bring it to a a better conclusion. That's what he's telling to Philemon. Now you not only get your slave back, you get a full-fledged Christian brother back. And what would you rather have? The slave that left or the brother who's returning? So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention what you owe me. You owe me your very self. Now what that means is either Paul got him out of a tight spot or he led him to Christ in the first place. Oh, Paul knew how to pour it on. I mean, he's not forcing it, but man, is he building a case. He is just smearing it on. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Wow. It's no wonder this letter has been called a masterpiece of tact and indirect pressure. That's a phrase worth tucking away. Indirect pressure. A textbook of social service. A model letter written by a master letter writer. A lesson in the art of Christian relationship. First of all, let's answer the question, why is Philemon in our Bible? It's because it encapsulates the story of the whole Bible. It's your story. It's mine. We can paint the picture. When Paul says, put it to my account. If he owes you anything, put it to my account. That's exactly what Jesus stepped up and did when he went to the cross. To any of their charges, put it to my account. We all ran away from God the Father. We rebelled. We all deserved the death sentence. Jesus Christ is our advocate. He went and took our place and died in our place. This is the story of redemption. Why is it in our Bible? It's the very essence of our Bible. And I'll tell you something else that's the essence of our Bible is that the one God loves you as if you were the only one. It's awesome. It's an awesome. And then this whole thing of the workplace. I want to just suggest something to you for you to go home and pray about. How many of you have been burned in the workplace? How many of you have had a boss who ripped you off? A colleague who climbed over you to get ahead of you? Or someone who worked under you that stole from you? 
or in one way or another ripped you off. I want to just float like a paper airplane. The possibility that that person is God's assignment where He wants to use you to show the miraculous grace of God's redemption interpersonally to forgive, to bless, to elevate. It doesn't take God to leave us frozen and alienated from our enemies. Jesus died for more. One of the most dynamic ways we can demonstrate that we are Christians and mean what we say is to love those who despitefully use us, to bless those who curse us. I still believe those words are for us. They're counterintuitive. But so was it counterintuitive for a slave owner in the Roman culture to forgive a runaway and to treat him like a brother. Now, what Paul is calling for, what God is calling for, is radical obedience. It's the gospel in the workplace. It's that we don't act by the, we don't live by the same set of rules as everybody else. There's a higher standard. And God has called us to live out the Christian life. Not just when we gather here on Sundays or Wednesdays or our life group. But where we are 40, 50, 60 hours a week in the workplace. May Jesus transform our workplaces by demonstrating redemption, forgiveness, by giving people a second chance, by turning the other cheek, by going the extra mile, by giving them our shirt as well as our jacket. That is the gospel of Christ. Father, thank you for the word of God. I thank you for our wonderful church family that wants to live it out. And Lord, wants to put into practice the Word of God so that we don't just hear the Word, but we do it. And Lord, whether it's down at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution or at CDC or CNN or in a second grade classroom or an office building or real estate or driving a bus Lord, we want to be gold medal workplace Christians. We want to be those that demonstrate, even when it hurts, the gospel of Christ. Thank you for feeding us from the Word of God this morning. Amen.